So we're going to open up the way we open up every podcast by asking Libby a question. <laughs> <laughs> Libby, do you have a show on Quibi yet? No. Maybe by end of day, though. Maybe. Fingers crossed. There are talks. Yeah, I'm definitely a Libby on the verge. so sad none of this will make it in. And with that, welcome to Millions of Screens, IndieWire's TV industry-focused podcasts. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined as always by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. On today's episode, we'll be talking the SAG, PGA, and ACE awards, and then Ben and Libby will walk me through the second half of their epic TCA press tour adventure. This is the millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. All right, skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from the past week. A lot of awards over the course of the weekend. And how. Libby, were you at all three? I was at all three. And and there were more that I I was not tuned into, but... Uh, where do you, where would three, you like to start? Ace Eddie Awards were Friday night held mm-hmm. at the Beverly Hilton and... The room was packed, honestly. It was actually gave me a little bit of deja vu because that is typically where summer TCA tour is held. So to go to the uh, quote-unquote other hotel while winter TCA was going on was very disturbing and I didn't care for it. But <laughs> it was very nice. The food was very good. And I, I should say that um, Bong Joon-ho and... Um, and and his his lead actor did mention that the food at the Eddie Awards was the best at all of the award shows they'd been at so far. Was it vegan? So it was not. They had surf and turf. It was amazing. I had That's no the, idea. I think it's the opposite of vegan. It is. It's <laughs> all the like meats. It's, yep. They took all the other meats that were kicked out of all the other yeah, award the, shows, the and they're like, we'll take them. Yeah. Yeah. Bring them. I was, I had a, actually a great time at the Eddie Awards. I was sitting at a table with um, some of our favorite stars from HBO's Barry. Oh. Including. Anthony Kerrigan. Anthony Kerrigan. Our good friend, Anthony Kerrigan. Yes. Our consider this. Uh, participant as well as um his co-star and uh former good place star i would say kirby howell baptiste Mm -hmm. was on directly across the table from me but a oversized centerpiece uh prevented me from actually talking with her and host darcy carden who stars with both of them on barry and obviously kirby on good place uh stopped by because her brother was there and and at our table so it was very fun. The Eddie Awards are great. I actually really enjoyed them because they were focused on an, focused on a segment of the industry that doesn't get celebrated as much. It's cool to see editors be excited about editing because they do craft so much of the stories that we love. The winners were also really good. Uh, both Fleabag and Better Things won, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Killing Eve. Yes. For uh, drama. And then Game of Thrones yep. for drama as well. Yeah. Game of Thrones for basically cable drama and Killing Eve for non-cable drama. And then for a miniseries, Chernobyl. Yes. Uh, Chernobyl's continuing its its march to the sea, um, <laughs> despite, you know, the, the Emmy race being over but like it's just to the sea <laughs> like sherman so was it like sherman's, Sher- sherman's march, march? No, i'm aware of the other reverence <laughs> well i mean it's it's similar destruction it's a similar path to destruction uh game of thrones win was for the long night 
which uh, yeah, it was we, strange. We, we still like we. Libby and I are staunch proponents of the bells being the better episode of the yes, two. yes. Uh, I will say, <laughs> the first episode of season two of Fleabag is an amazingly edited. Piece oh, of, that that entire first however many minutes. Oh, to that extent, yeah, it it so much so, and I think we did a really almost like a minute by minute breakdown um, of that episode shortly after it came out and in our Emmy Awards season. So I'll try to link to those. So then, I mean, it's been a long, long couple of weeks with TCAs and all these, and, and the awards all being crunched together because of the uh, the early Oscars. So then we had the PGAs, where a couple more of our favorites continued to win. They did. It was, it was again, it, it was again a, a repeat of some of our favorites. Um, Essentially, Fleabag won for uh, comedy. Yes. Chernobyl continuing its, its march to the sea. Yes. <laughs> Shut up, it works. <laughs> but for, uh, for drama, longtime pod favorite. Succession. Succession. Also known as the only good show on television. Yes, that's true. Although it beat out the only other good show on television. Right. Watchmen. Watchmen. Yeah. Um, Hard to pick between your children. Yeah. No, that's very true. Uh, most mothers can, though. I mean, I think that was the takeaway from Sophie's Choice. Um, wow. <laughs> most disappointing aspect of I'm the BGA so Awards right was perhaps the fact that Deadwood lost the award for Outstanding Producer of Televised or Streamed Motion Picture to Apollo Missions to the Moon. The moon wins again. Do you think they got confused and thought it was Apollo, Apollo 11? 11? That's that's what I would have thought. Or do you think that they knew that it wasn't, or like if that would have that couldn't be the case because Apollo 11 wasn't very good, so they wouldn't vote for it anyway. Oof, boy, this is Yikes. not a film podcast. Yikes! Or else we'd have words, Ben Drappers. I literally got chills twice watching Apollo 11 in my home. If I were in a theater, I'd, my skeleton would have jumped out of my skin Just probably. turn up the heat. Like, I don't... Good one. <laughs> ben, I don't know if you read this. I know that Leo didn't. I don't read anything. Well... I can't read. You weren't privy to you this conversation. Read. Libby chooses not to read. <laughs> I read everything. Uh, did you get books as gifts. Fact. <laughs> did you read my uh, my little tale about what happened at the first during the first award of the PGA Awards? Mm, I don't think so. The first award given out at the PGA Awards was um, the award for outstanding producer of nonfiction television. It was given out by podcast fave Yaya from Watchmen, and oh, um, I did read this. He was wearing this beautiful, brilliant. Um, pink suit. He looked amazing. Uh, he was really great up there. So he was introducing the nominees. He opened the envelope. Um, unsurprisingly, the winner was HBO's Leaving Neverland, mm -hmm. which was that very emotional um, docu-series about the Michael Jackson molestation uh, accusers, I will say, so we don't get sued. Um so as soon as he announces it, the music starts, you know, to give time for the winners to reach the stage. And the music is... No. Yeah. The music is the theme from Love Story, which is awkward. It felt weird. There were a lot of weird music choices that night. Um, 
Now, again, it could have been worse. I assume you were thinking it was a Michael Jackson song that's what, that played. <laughs> that's what I so was they, thinking. They, they could have really dive-bombed it in, a, in an atrocious, like, screeching halt kind of way. But, uh, yeah, no, it still didn't. You said Yaya had a pretty good reaction to this, though, eventually, because well, no, the no, punchline no. is. We, here, here's the thing. So the, the song was awkward, and it just kept going. They need to give the winners time. And uh, eventually, Yaya starts laughing, which I totally got. It was very awkward. He was just standing up there waiting for the winners. And then he said, um, they're not here. Oh, no. <laughs> so we'll accept this on their behalf. Like, And he's like, and now I'm going back to my table and having a glass of wine. And he took the trophy and left the stage. The next best part of that was Sam Mendes was up next to introduce a uh, uh, a bit for 1917 mm-hmm. and he said this is an impact he said something along lines of this is an impeccably produced evening uh, <laughs> so now closing out the weekend arguably the was it the most star-studded of the three? Oh, definitely the, uh the most in front of the camera talent was, uh, the was definitely awards. at the sag awards which as we've talked before before on the pod is definitely the most uh high school popularity contest sort of award show of of them all. It's very interesting. It, it is, it is, but also going to the SAGs immediately after going to the PGA, the vibe is totally different. The producers are very much like, yes, we have jobs and they matter and no one knows it, but we know it and people, other people should know it, which is great, except it's not televised. So no one but producers are going to see it. Um, but SAG is very, it, it's very fraternal. Um, it does feel like all of the coolest kids from your high school had a reunion without you. Um, but that's okay. Cause it's so cool. And everyone's so good looking that you don't mind being shuttered off into a completely separate room as the most popular, uh, come in and, and, and take questions for two to three minutes, which is how I felt when Brad Pitt came in. He's a beautiful man. Um, the, the, so the side winners were, we're pretty good. Again, uh, the Crown won drama ser- ensemble and drama series. Uh, Amazon swept the cat- comedy categories with two wins for Mrs. Maisel, one for comedy series, one for actor, and uh, of course Phoebe Waller-Bridge winning in female actor. Um, it was good. It was a it was a good night. And again, she, has, she she hasn't lost in this cycle since the Emmys. No, has she? she she has won the big. She won Emmy Globe. She won yeah Emmy Globe SAG. She yeah. won the big acting awards for for television this year. And again, not a movie podcast. But then Parasite won huge ensemble, and we have a Best Picture race again. Any anything uh, anything else surprising? Maisel won comedy ensemble. SAG loves Maisel. Uh, that wasn't hugely surprising. It has a huge cast. Um, and so those ensemble prizes will sometimes, occasionally, go to the biggest quality cast, especially because they don't have supporting actor um, awards. Everyone gets cu- gets um, lumped into actor and actress. But I don't know. I w- that wasn't terribly surprising. Um, it does tell me that Maisel's still beloved within the industry, and, and now that that Fleabag anomaly is been removed from the system it it should uh it should go back to where it was and it's i mean without without a veep or flea bag it looks like a presumptive it's a presumptive favorite like i feel like they'll be like well we got flea bag got that out of our system let's go back to our safe space Maisel and barry are lockstep for one two yeah 
God, I, I really hope Barry can just, if it can deliver another season like its first two, I feel like it has the chance to play spoiler. I mean, it's been beloved for Bill Hader, you know, and, and it's done well with the nomination count each year. It just hasn't quite been able to overlap the the annual, like the new annual favorites. But, um, but with another strong go, given its increase in ratings, it's uh, the cast, which earned... Which like every single cast member who was submitted earned an Emmy nomination last year, and the technical prowess behind the camera, I would think that it's got the quadrants to compete. But yeah, it does. It is hard, but against. I can't believe Ben didn't bring up probably the biggest win of the night at the SAGs. Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston. Um, I got into a lovely conversation uh, prior to her victory with our editor in chief Dana Harris, in which <laughs> Dana, as she's catching up on. The morning show messaged me to say, "To say you really think Jennifer Aniston can win?" And I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." And she goes, "She well, she was against it. Let's just say she was against it, and she was for Olivia Coleman." Oh, uh, I could totally see that. So I the, can absolutely see why someone would feel that way based on those two performances. The first message I, I watched, sent. <laughs> I haven't watched season three of The Crown, but I can also see yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. first message I sent when Jennifer Aniston rightfully won. Her well-deserved SAG award mm-hmm. uh, was to our editor-in-chief, saying how glorious and intelligent actors are. Like they're they're arguably the wisest among us, and we've been saying that for decades. You, you do now. remember how I started this whole SAG uh, conversation based on the fact that it's literally a popularity contest. I don't um, I don't remember that, but I would have adamantly disagreed, um, as past recordings will attest so i mean if there's any uh, positive as our colleague ann thompson has said uh various times the actors are the biggest voting block at least in the so there's good news for parasite hopefully and does it does it affect the emmy uh actress i think this absolutely gives apple confidence uh in terms of how they're going to be able to sell the morning show to emmy voters and i mean the public at large as they continue to hawk it throughout the uh september emmys race like god we're gonna hear so much about the morning show and they're not gonna say a damn thing about season two um but no i i mean i i think that after the globe nomination and the sag nomination aniston was always going to be a competitor like there was there was no way you could kind of take her out of the race um but what the sag win really tells me is um you know, as Libby reported in, in in a story before, well before the SAGs debuted, um, when the nominations come out, you're looking at a very small group within the SAGs doing the voting. There's a, a select committee of what, like 3,500 people, 2,500 people, who yeah, 2,500 people who actually do the voting. Whereas right. when it comes time to the winners, they open it up to the body at large, right, and that was my biggest question going into the SAGs. It was whether or not enough people had seen the morning show to make sure that one of them would get a victory. And obviously Apple really wanted that to happen, but there's only so much you can do when you're trying to talk to tens of thousands of voters as opposed to, you know, a smaller body or, um, you know, just make sure that the, the globes people, which is even smaller. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, I think it's a very encouraging thing that she was able to win. And yes, um, setting aside the um, contentious merits 
of whether or not she deserved it. Hmm. The SAGs are a popularity contest, and this very well could have been, well, I've heard good things about Jennifer Aniston's performance. I really like Jennifer Aniston. She's overdue. I didn't watch The Crown. I don't think Olivia Coleman needs another win. We just gave it to her. Whatever the reasoning is, it could have just come down to, I really like Jennifer Aniston. But that can happen again at the Emmys, too. So um, I, I think it's a very encouraging thing. I don't think it makes her a front runner by any means, but I think it's uh, an important win for her and well-deserved because she's true. We were just talking about the fact that we're going to probably have this long Emmys push for Jen Aniston and the morning show. And you guys were at TCA's and the closing day of TCA's was Apple TV Plus. And there was a lot of news to be made there morning show uh, adjacent. One being that there's no news on a season two. And then there was a long panel, if you guys want to talk at all about that. <laughs> yeah, the, the Apple TCA day was, and this is their first visit to the TCA's. Um, so everybody was a little curious about how exactly it would be handled. And um, it was handled about as weirdly as everybody expected. Um, to start with, when you walk into the TCA's, it's at a hotel the first thing is in a ballroom, like you either check in uh, or, you know, say hello and, and work your way into the ballroom to prepare for the presentations. Uh, they made up that initial room to look like an apple bar where like there was a bunch of like a big wooden desk for check-ins. Uh, there was apple logos kind of in the back, like pre-lit where somebody kept trying to do something with them. They kept doing a countdown and then like hitting a button and then nothing would happen and they do the countdown again and then I don't know what that led to but um, were they also doing repairs on uh, scratched iPhone uh, screens it, <laughs> it kind of felt like it because there were a lot more people there too like it seemed like Apple brought a bunch of not only you know their their marketing and PR representatives and, and a few executives but they seemed to bring a lot of just general staffers who were wearing the like Apple shirts and kind of just hovering around in case you needed something. I don't know what it was, but in case... Some kind of tech support. Right. Um, they are the geniuses after all. But no, the, the, the rest of the day was was pretty straightforward. They did not do an executive session, so there was no big kind of overall... State of the union. Here's, yeah, here's what's going on with Apple and, and how we uh, felt about our launch. So there was no questions to be answered about whether or not you know that was successful or how many people watched this or that. Um, a few, I think a few panelists over the course of the day were asked, including the morning show people, um, do you know how many people watched your show? And they were like, no, 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 we don't want to know. So again, no news there. The Apple TV TCA day ended at about two. Um, I think they said out of kindness to the journalists who'd been in the TCAs for 13 days and they were letting you go early as kind of a nice thing but in reality it's kind of like when the substitute teacher doesn't have enough to do and is like half day yeah in in reality it was Cut very much early, the SAG awards were happening and they had to transport talent to the SAG awards slash all of their people were probably working pulling double duty at the TCAs in Pasadena and the SAG awards where was it I forgot already uh, was at the Shrine Auditorium on the campus of USC. There you go, downtown. So um, anyway, the morning show panel started with somewhat understandable questions about season two because all of season one has debuted. 
Uh, season two has been ordered. They are they have written it. They should be in production soon, if not already. Ben, may I ask a question? Of course. Uh, was everyone in the panel color coordinated? That's a great point. Let me. Everybody was wearing black. Um, I, I I don't. I mean, that is the theme of Apple itself. Like their their screens were black with the Apple logo kind of brightly backlit so that you right. could read it. But uh, just. Black is is the look right now, um, and yeah, everybody. Every, Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, Michael Allenberg, Mimi Leader, and Billy Crudup were the panelists, and all of them were dressed head to toe in black. So turtlenecks? No, no thankfully. Um, but understandably, those first questions were about the upcoming season and what we can exp- like just general stuff just like what can we expect what do you want to tease um you know uh is so-and-so coming back if you finalize a contract and there has been some discussion about steve carell's character because no spoiler alert here but the last scene of the first season is kind of this slow pullback of him sitting alone at a chair which could feel like hey we're done with you this was a pointed statement about how we no longer need to talk about a sexual harasser slash predator's intimate personal life and perspective on these issues. We're going to just make it about the women. Um, but there's rumors that Steve Carell is negotiating for season two, even though he was only contracted for one season to begin with. But now Carrie Aaron, the showrunner who wasn't at the panel, said that she wanted him back. So maybe he's coming back. And they just dismissed it right away, saying... We have nothing to say about that. There's no news to report. We're not commenting. We're not saying what we have planned for him or for season two. Uh, we're not going to tease season two. I think Reese Witherspoon said something about, like, it's only going to get bigger or it's only going to be, or we're only getting started or just getting started. Like, something very general and, like, hey, let's, like, here you go. It's going to happen. Well, um, gosh, Ben, if they didn't want to talk about season two... What left is what? What's left to ask them about? Yeah, Ben. Well, what what happened was that a lot of questions from the critics and the audience about the decisions that were made in season one, as related to um, everything from the decision to give critics just three episodes at the start, um, and those were the reviews that formed the show, to uh, Steve Carell's role in the show and why so much time and perspective were given to this character, um, as well as uh, the treatment of, of black female victims in the show. All of that came tumbling out pretty fast, <laughs> like pretty fast and lethal, uh, to the point where it turned into basically the morning show team facing their critics, literally, Yeah, uh, and trying to explain... The a lot C, of the decisions the they made. stands for critics. <laughs> yeah, very true. And I mean, a lot of the people in the room are journalists, but a lot of them are also critics. And a lot of them wrote those reviews and cited those complaints and now had the chance to pose them uh, in real life. If I may, may I? It wasn't just, I, I, don't, I don't want people to get the wrong idea here. It wasn't just, hey, we hated your show and now you're here. So we want to yell at you about your show. There was a lot of pushback. Um, from the creative team on the morning show accusing uh, critics of doing a hack job on the show because they just wanted to see Apple to fail. Um, 
you know, implications that that critics were not doing their jobs correctly, uh, that that they they didn't know what was going on, that they didn't know how to identify good television. Um, so it's not as though they were attacking on innocent civilians, firing on innocent civilians here. Yeah. No, 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 not 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 at all. Um, I would. Mm, oh yeah, let's go. Let's fight. I would. I would say that a lot of the discussion around the three episode controversy, right, that I've heard, uh, isn't really. I don't feel it's blaming the critics. I feel it's blaming Apple. I feel like that's them telling their bosses, "You shouldn't have done this," and letting the critics off the hook in a way and saying, you know, once you saw the rest, it was good, right? So we can dismiss the reviews. We can usher those aside and say, look at all the people who came to our defense once they saw all of it, which A, cast the blame on Apple, B, keeps their relationships, quote unquote, intact with the critics, and C, encourages people like, no, 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 the show is good. Don't worry about it. Um, I think what should be emphasized more than that is that most critics that I talked to who watched the entirety of the show might have said it improved slightly, but yeah, did was, not was, was, change their opinion that it is still not a good no. television show. I was going to ask, like, there's a, a, a false narrative there saying that, like, once they got everything, they completely changed their mind from bad show, middling show to great show. And listen, that that would that has happened before with critics and you know what they do when that happens they come out and they write something that says whoa we got this totally wrong this is one of the best shows on tv i wish that i'd gotten the full first season so i would had 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 could have had the most informed opinion that i had if i remember correctly people weren't in love with bojack but not everyone was in love with bojack during that first season it took a little while for some of us, not you, Ben, oh, some no, of us. Me. Oh, is it you? Yeah. I'm the prime example of this. No. I'm on the Wikipedia page. It's a problem. For some for some of us to get on board with BoJack and, and understand what it was doing and understand that it wasn't just kind of making fun of that, uh, to understand the humor in it. Yeah. And um, with, with BoJack specifically, we were given, I believe, the first five episodes. And the first five episodes are very much... An kind of an, a, a slightly serialized, mainly episodic story that feels like it's going in a direction of these two people are going to eventually become a couple, and that's kind of the whole thing. Um, and since then, Netflix overall, while their embargo policy is weird and has shifted quite a bit, they usually do give us quite a few episodes before we review something if it's important to them. And I feel like they, not specifically with BoJack, but with a lot of things, learn the lesson of... It usually, like, if you can flood the zone, it usually helps you. <laughs> right. So. Right. Because there are some critics, most critics, I would argue that if they get all the episodes, they'll watch all the episodes before they write the review. They will watch what they are given before writing their review because that's what's fair. Um, so I think that's at the heart of, of some of the Apple controversy. But I'm very sorry for completely derailing what you were saying, Ben. Uh, please continue. Well, no, I think I think what's important to take away about the TCA discussion is that there there are positive and negatives, and I think it's probably more positive for Apple, as as awkward as a lot of the interactions were, and as uh, confusing as a lot of the conversation has become over whether or not the quote unquote critical consensus thinks this show is good or bad. I think them getting all those 
headlines out saying the cast, the crew, faced their critics. Uh, they took the questions. I think that's going to help them in the future. Uh, I think it's going to help them in the Emmy campaign in the sense that we already responded to a lot of these complaints. If you bring them up again, we don't need to talk about it. Uh, so we're just going to focus on the good things about the show and the positive reception. Um, and uh, finally, their refusal to talk about season two, while incredibly frustrating, is very much an Apple move. And if they do choose to start dropping news and they choose to do that during Emmy voting, that's their way of keeping the show in the conversation, which is a very smart thing to do. Um, so I think that uh, for as as frustrating as a lot of this first season, this Apple launch has been, I think that the morning show through that panel put itself in a better position for campaigning. Uh, I, I don't think they're in a better position for a season two. I just think they're in a better position to sell season one um, than they were before they did it. So uh, overall, I, I do think the Apple day was very helpful. I think that a lot of the conversations that we were able to have with the people who are making the shows were great to bank for future coverage. I think there's always improvements that can be made in those relationships and in um, kind of what each party gets out of a TCA. Um, but it was great that they came. Ben, you want to talk a little bit about the HBO Max? Libby, how do you feel about HBO Max after the HBO Max presentation at TCAs? I wasn't there. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> How do you feel? Yeah, Ben, how I do you feel, feel fucking fine, but I am in the minority. <laughs> I, Wait, so, so Ben, what was the issue with the HBO Max presentation? The complaints I kept hearing about the HBO Max presentation was that they were unable to give clear, definitive answers for what should be rather simple questions. Um, so one of the presumptions is that since HBO Max, if you subscribe, will allow you to watch all of HBO's programming... HBO, as a streaming entity on its own, will go away. Because why would you need the same service with less offerings? Uh, why would anyone subscribe to that? And they're not saying that that's going to happen. They're saying that's kind of the plan, and yeah, we'd hope to kind of transfer all of our subscribers from one over into the other, but the reason they're saying that is because <laughs> they can't just cancel the platform that is HBO when it's got all of these subscribers and as soon as HBO Max starts, they have to try to make sure that those people willingly go over to this other service, however they decide to do that. And that seems perfectly logical to me. Um, a lot more questions came up about what exactly is going to be on the platform. Like, you have access to all of the Harry Potter movies because of Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that... Those movies have been licensed out elsewhere. So, like, when do those deals expire? Are you all the keep DC them? movies? Right. You're gonna are you gonna keep them all on there at the same time? What's gonna happen to DC Universe? What's gonna happen to this and that? And a lot of it boils down to me to common sense. Like, of course, as soon as they have the rights to Harry Potter, they're gonna do a big launch where this July you can watch all the Harry Potter movies. But then at some point, those Harry Potter movies are gonna go away because that's how they keep people interested and keep people hooked to the service. They can't just keep everything there. They have to keep like taking it and relaunching it and taking it and relaunching it just like we're seeing Disney do now. 
Um, so they wouldn't commit to, yeah, you'll be able to watch like a simple, clear statement of you can watch Harry Potter if you have HBO Max forever, anytime you want, all the time, because that's just not how it works. Um, but there are there were a lot more questions about um, about the service than I think I have. And I think at this point, a lot of it is just me assuming that they're going to, it's going to come together the way that I'm imagining it from what has already been said. And the reason they're not making these big clear statements is because of both legal problems and they're still preparing for the launch. Uh, but it seemed like their rather long three-person panel headed by Kevin Riley seemed to confuse the audience way more than it cleared things up. So bad panel, but you're not worried. I'm not worried at all. <laughs> I feel fine about it. I just, I recognize that uh, it's a lot easier to, in this oversaturated world of television, to be able to say very clearly, this is what we've got. We're always going to have it. You can have it for this amount of money. It'll be there. Don't worry. But it's it's just more complicated than that. It's just like with Disney. There's still Disney properties on Netflix because they licensed it to Netflix for too long. And they're moving forward with their service, and they're making do with what they've got. And you can watch all of The Mandalorian, and don't worry about the fact that some of the Star Wars movies are still elsewhere. Like, it's going to be fine. So um, I think we're going to be in for <laughs> confusion forever. I mean, looking at this year's TCA is one of the more notable things was that it couldn't hold, like, it hasn't been able to hold all of television for a long time, but it gave a better impression that all of television was being kind of encompassed by the TCAs. Like, we were going to get through 90% of this, guys, don't worry. The extra 10% you don't have to worry as much about. But this year it was like, there was a day where Peacock was giving their big presentation in the middle of the TCA is trying to tell everybody what, you know, what their shows were going to be, how much it was going to cost, when it was rolling out, all these key details, and they weren't at the TCAs. And that was just such a clear example that we can't get a grip on this anymore. There's too many questions. There's too much going on. Nobody can understand every aspect of it. And operating on assumptions probably isn't a good way to go, but it's almost the last resort at this point. And you're saying that's not even like counter-programming as a way to sabotage other companies' uh, TCAs. It's just there's too much stuff. I don't, like, and, and again, this year, like we talked about in the last pod, there was a lot of counter-programming that seemed like it was made to sabotage other people's presentations or just steal the spotlight away from whatever news they were announcing. And, and maybe that's true. Like, I'm sure there's still some, you know, fights going on in Hollywood and people trying to take the edge and rivals are rivals, but... Um, I mean, Apple releasing a press release, like, <laughs> every day at about 1 p.m. is not an accident when yep. they were going the last day of TCA and could have I, held that news for then. I would agree with that as well. Um, but I, I did feel like, you know, a lot of the premieres that were being held, like The Outsider and Avenue 5, both held premieres during TCAs when there were TCA events going on, and you used to be able to duck away from that. But I think it just illustrates there's there is just too much television. There's just too much for it to fit in us in anyone's schedule and not overlap. You're just gonna have to pick and choose from now on. So. Or watch it on millions of screens. <laughs> Adrian Veidt style, millions of screens. Only because you brought it up. How prophetic that show turned out to be for our podcast. Only because you brought it up. The Outsider. <laughs> no. 
We're done with that for now. <laughs> you talked to Richard Price. I talked to Richard Price. You, have, you just give him, him the scoop. Did you ask him why? Did you ask him how? I did ask him why and how. I did express my frustrations with the book. He had great answers for all of it. We will run the interview on IndieWire.com. Uh, time to the fifth episode, which I think will be the make or break point for the audience. Is this when we um, see The Outsider? Do we ever see The Outsider? Do uh, we ever see that face? The, Have you seen this guy's face? The, <laughs> the best thing. There's I, something wrong with his face. I don't think he's human. That's just me. I don't think he's human. I think there's something wrong with that guy. <laughs> the best thing I can tell you about the show. Uh, well, no, not the best thing, but the most encouraging thing I can tell you about the ending of the Outsider season one is that I don't know what it is, and. Um, in the book, yeah, you do see the face. <laughs> you, see, you see the outsider. I do not know if that is the case in the show, and that's a good thing. So I think the podcast title is Do You See the Face? <laughs> Have you seen that face? Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video Bjork talking about her TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brideson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Ann Donahue. You can find us on Twitter at A Million Screens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So please leave a review and maybe we'll mention your critiques and take your notes in future episodes. This has been Ben, Libby, and Leo, reminding you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. (laughs)